we go. Yep. Not a smooth transition there at all. It's okay. Thank you. All right. Part 12 of the letter to the Dallas church. Talking about 1 Corinthians. I'm going to remind you why we're calling it that. Uh, this, is, this is a good one today. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. We're not going to look at all of it because it's like 58 verses. And so we're just going to go through some of the highlights. I will tell you this story. It's actually funny. Um, Luke Powell, who you know him, Kit, he went to Highland Park and then he, he became, he was in the men of Nehemiah. And so if you remember, they came last January and just like rocked this place out. If you were here, we need to get them back. But he publicly re- told everyone this. So I guess it's not a secret about me that Luke and I, we went to high school together at Highland Park. He was one year older than me, and we were on the football team the same year. And so he told everyone, if you were here, you might remember this comment, you might not, that me and him used to skip practice together. And so he talked about that. And so one of the things that uh, we would even do is in the off season for Highland Park football there, and a lot of you that play know what I'm talking about, there was this horrible day called mat drills, and it is, it is awful. And you, I remember it's like sitting in class all day, and I know it's my mat drill day. And even though I was a receiver, they put me with the offensive line group, which they can't do mat drills. No offense to them, but they, it is really bad. And it's, it's a horrible workout. And so I just got to this point where I was like, look, I'm not playing, so I'm, I'm skipping. So I would check in, and me and a few friends, we would run, get our stuff, and then we would go to Snuffers. Not even kidding. And so we would be eating cheese fries while our friends were doing the workouts and never got caught, was fully successful. Um, didn't play either, but also never got caught and felt great about that. But it was just funny because you're in these meetings and they're, they're giving you these speeches about um, commitment and competitive greatness. And you sign these things and you're wearing the t-shirt. And I was laughing about it because I was like, I was speaking the language. I knew the language of the culture. I could talk about commitment. I could wear the wristband and all that stuff. But yet I am skipping practice and going to snuffers. And so even though I claimed to be a committed part of this team, my actions didn't always line up with that. And I say that because we've all experienced this in certain areas of our lives that one of the struggles we can all relate to as Christians is knowing the truth, but not necessarily living it out. The way you could put it is having information, but not always having application. And so a lot of us Um, could proclaim, hey, this is what we believe as Christians, and I'm claiming to be a Christian, but then a lot of areas of our lives, it's not necessarily being applied. And so one way that you could put it, um, Tim Keller has this analogy, and he talks about how um, used to, now you can just use your card, but if you were to go to a vending machine and you put coins in it, have you ever, I don't even know if y'all have had to do this, but I've had this happen where you put the coins in and the coins get stuck. Okay, have you ever had this happen? Then um, he says that that's kind of like for a lot of us what the gospel does. Is that the gospel is in our heads, but it's stuck in our heads. And it hasn't necessarily gone down into our hearts to really affect us and to affect our lives. And so he, he calls it, um, he says that the coins have to drop. Is that you can't just have it in your head that God has to do something to get the coins to drop so that it doesn't just become something you know as information, but it becomes application. It doesn't just get stuck in here but it affects you. And so what the Christian life is, is it is a lifelong journey of learning to apply 
the gospel to everything. And so I spoke at Highland Park FCA last week. I told them my, my favorite three words in the Bible were Jesus' last three words on the cross. It is finished. He says, I came to accomplish everything for you. I have fully paid everything for you. And so that's the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus finished everything. And so the Christian life is this journey of learning to take that and apply it to every aspect of your life. School, sports, weekends, friends, phones, dating. I mean, you can, you can fill in anything. And so why do I say it? Because that's exactly what Paul's been doing in 1 Corinthians. Is he's been addressing a group of people who know the gospel, but it's not affecting every area of their life. And he's saying, hey, the solution to your problems is not to work harder. It's not to be better. It's actually to take the gospel and be reminded of it and then apply it to the problems and situations and relationships in your life. And so what we found is this church is a lot like us. A lot of the things that they dealt with are a lot like us. And so for us, the one word that we use maybe to describe this disconnect between knowing the gospel and it affecting our lives is hypocrisy. You might have heard that word before. It's a word that's used a lot in Christian circles, and it essentially means there's a disconnect between what we say we believe and what our lives look like. And so I want you to think about this, is that if you wanted to plant flowers or a garden, you have to have the right environment. You got to have water. You've got to have light. You have to have the right environment for flowers and plants to flourish. And so I'm just going to say this statement. I'm going to explain it, is that today in 1 Corinthians 15, this is what we're going to talk about, is that lives that are really shaped by the gospel will not flourish, okay, if we lose our sense of amazement towards the resurrection, towards Jesus rising from the dead. Okay, I'm going to say that again, is that lives that are shaped by the gospel will not flourish when we lose our sense of amazement about the resurrection. And so what one guy said is that a lack of appreciation in our hearts leads to a lack of application in our lives. Okay, when we don't appreciate the resurrection, what Jesus did by rising from the dead, that's what Paul's going to talk about in 1 Corinthians 15, it will not apply to our lives. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to go back to the resurrection, Jesus rising from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to pray that God helps us appreciate it, be amazed by it. Therefore, we will apply it to our lives. And so I'll just tell you, wherever you're at today with God, this is for you. If you're here and you feel far from God, this is going to be for you today. Um, if you're discouraged, this is going to be for you today. If you are tempted, this is going to be for you today. Wherever you are, this is going to be for you today. If you're here and you're questioning if Christianity is even real, this is going to be for you today. And so just remember, letter to the Dallas Church, Paul, again, he's writing to address specific issues. And so this particular issue, before we look at it, it's about the resurrection. And so he's addressing a specific problem. So here's the problem. You're, you may relate to it. You may probably don't. But this was their problem is that they believe Jesus rose from the dead. So his mind, soul, and body rose from the dead, but they did not believe that one day their bodies would. Okay, so they didn't think that one day when Christ returned, their bodies would also rise. Now, this is because of Greek thought. And you're going to go, well, this is not relevant. Well, I'm about to show you that it is. And so Greek thought was very much um, about the soul would live, but not always the body. And so it's dualism. It's basically this idea that the body is separate from the soul. Now, you might be like, that doesn't relate to me at all. But I'm actually going to show you it does. Because this mentality has pervaded 
um, our thought in America, specifically when it comes to sex and sexuality. And so a lot of the message that you get is that um, it's, it's only physical. It's not spiritual. Okay, that is a like dualistic thought. That's one of the things they were struggling with. And what scripture teaches is no, the soul and the body are intimately connected. And so what we do to our bodies actually affects our soul. God cares about your body. And so one of the things that he's going to tell them is that, no, no, no. If Jesus rose from the dead and he had a body, one day when you go to heaven, you're going to have a body. And so all the physical ailments you're dealing with on earth, you're not going to deal with in heaven if you're a Christian. And that gives great hope for those of us with sickness or disease or people we know that do. Is that the Christian hope is not just, oh, you're going to be floating in space forever. Okay, no, it's like you're going to have a body that's going to be as God intended it to be. That's really good news. And so that's what Paul is attacking. As he's saying, no, you're not appreciating and applying the resurrection to your life. And so again, we do the same thing. It just looks different. And so what I'll tell you today is if you really get this, it's going to give you a reason to get up in the morning. It's going to give you hope. It's going to give you purpose. All right, this passage has brought hope and has clarified what's actually worth living for for millions of grieving, struggling, suffering, tempted Christians for over 20 centuries. All right, this is the key passage for the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. So we're going to ask three questions about it. Why is it important? Why does the resurrection even matter to begin with? Um, and I'm just going to show you, oh, it's pretty much everything. That's it. That's why it matters. And then two, why can we be confident in it? Why can we actually be confident that Jesus rose from the dead? I had a seminary professor, and he knew a philosopher, one of the top philosopher, uh, philosophy professors in the country, really in the world, who proclaimed that you could have the same confidence Jesus rose from the dead that Abraham Lincoln lived on earth. Okay, I'm about to show you that, so that's going to be fun. And then number three, what effect does it have on our lives today? If Jesus really did rise from the dead, what effect does it have on us? So here's the first question. Why is the resurrection important? We're going to be in verses 1 to 4 of 1 Corinthians 15. This is what Paul says. He says, now I would remind you. So he's switching issues of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so he he's, says, I want to remind you. He's reminding him of the gospel. It literally means good news. And so this is a great summary of the gospel. If anyone's ever like, what's the gospel? You should just quote these four verses. This is the gospel. This is the good news of what Jesus did. Um, some people think this is so cool. This is the earliest definition that we have of the gospel. This is dating back to the early 50s AD. And the way that the words are formed, what experts say is that this version of the gospel was verbally packaged and presented in this way for years at this point. And so probably when Jesus died, like AD 33, is that a little bit after that time, people started to say this. This began to be something that people said in the early church. This was like a common um, description of the gospel. And so Paul's like, hey, I want to take you back to this. One commentator says that this is the weightiest four verses uh, in the New Testament, which is pretty intense. And so what Paul's saying is this is our message. 
This is what is most important. He says, this is of first importance. And he's talking to Christians. And so you've got to hear this, is that a lot of us think that the gospel is the thing that non-Christians believe that get them in. But then when you become a Christian, you move on to deeper things. And Paul's like, no, it's not how it is. The gospel's not only the thing that gets you in, it's the thing that keeps you in. It's the thing that changes you. It's the only thing we have. And so we constantly, just like them, need to be reminded of it all the time. The way this is said is implying that they are forgetting the gospel. They were drifting from the gospel. And it's so easy to drift from the gospel and to fall asleep to the gospel. So, like, I mean, you know, how many of you last week in class did the thing where you're, like, afraid you're going to fall asleep? Has that ever happened to you? That happened to me in statistics senior year. Um, it actually did. I fell asleep. I remember second semester I went in and was like, I have got to do better this this semester. We are not going to pass this class. And I woke up 40 minutes later and was like, this is not going to happen. This is going to be a long journey. And so do you know how it feels though when you're sitting in the chair and you're kind of like doing that? And you're like, I may fall forward. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, Paul is saying that we do this with the gospel a lot. Like we hear it, but we fall asleep to it. And we forget what it is and how amazing it is. And so just think about it. What does your life look like when you fall asleep to the gospel? What does your life look like when you doze off to the gospel? Well, for me, when I doze off and forget the gospel, I become dependent on what other people think of me because I forget what God thinks of me. And so I wake up every day and I need other people to approve me and to affirm me. And so you forget the gospel, you will become a slave to what people um, think of you. Um, when I forget the gospel, my faith becomes more about what I do than what Jesus has done. And so I think that how God feels about me depends on how good I'm doing. And so I slip back into this, okay, if I'm good, then God loves me and is pleased with me and accepts me. And that's not the gospel. And so I just want you to think about that. Like what happens to you when you forget the gospel, when you sleep to the gospel? There's tons of effects on my life. I begin to care about things that don't really matter. I begin to really get absorbed in worldly pursuits, worldly things that actually don't really have eternal significance when I forget the gospel. And so forgetting the gospel is the biggest thing we do. We, we need to be reminded of it um, every single day. And so you see, what is the gospel here? It's not that, oh, if I live a certain way, then I, God will accept me and then I'm better than this person or whatever. That's not what it is. The gospel is simply Jesus saves. That's it in two words. Jesus saves. It's good news about how God saves sinners through Jesus. And it includes, you see it here, that Jesus became a man. This eternally existing God, the Son of God, became a man. He's fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. He died a sacrificial death. And then, what does Paul say? On the third day, he was raised. And so this is important because his burial reinforces the fact that he really died. Muslims don't believe that Jesus really died on a cross. Um, some college professors, including people that I had, believe that something happened to the body. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, that he really wasn't raised. Paul's like, no, he really died and he really rose again. Now, what we typically do is we usually focus on Jesus's death on the cross but we don't focus as much on his perfect life and we don't focus as much on him rising from the dead. And you'll hear this when we talk about what is the gospel. We'll say things like, yeah, I trusted that Jesus died on the cross for me. But we leave out the fact that he rose 
from the dead. And here's why that's a problem, okay? Why is the resurrection necessary? Verses 12 to 19, this is what Paul says. He says, this is the gospel. He includes the resurrection in it. And then this is what he says. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? So that's what they were saying about their bodies. There's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your death, your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, hear this one, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is what he's saying in verses 12 to 19. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Christianity completely falls apart. And what you are doing right now is a total waste of time. Like you waking up early and coming here, like you should find a better hobby if this didn't, if this didn't happen. Like go do something different, okay? Because this is a waste of your time if Jesus did not rise from the dead. You're still in your sin is what he's saying. If someone died, they have no hope and we should be completely made fun of as Christians for living the way we do because we're completely wasting our time. That's what Paul's saying. Jesus didn't rise from the dead, everything falls apart. That's why the resurrection is important. And so if you've ever played Jenga, um, there gets a point where, right, if you remove the wrong block, everything comes crashing down. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like that's the whole strategy is which block can I pull? And what Paul is saying is if you pull the block of the resurrection, everything's crashing down of Christianity. Okay, you pull that one thing, everything else comes down if Jesus did not rise from the dead. That's why it's necessary. But here's the question. We're like, oh gosh, I hope it happened then. And so why can we be confident in the resurrection? Why can we actually be confident that Jesus really did rise from the dead? This is verse five to eight. Um, we're going back now. And he says this, that Jesus appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born. He appeared also to me. So Paul's like, I saw him also, which is kind of cool. And so let me put it like this, is that um, a few years ago, I looked at buying a house and I was, I investigated this house and everything looked uh, amazing. And I was like, man, this is awesome. It's a great deal, great neighborhood. The house looks good. And then when we looked at it and we had people look at it, it turns out that the foundation was incredibly messed up. And so the foundation was a complete disaster. And so you can't do that. Like everything else can look good. The price can be good. It can be in a good neighborhood, but the foundation's messed up. The house ain't gonna work out. And so I say that because every single person that's living needs a foundation. Everyone needs a foundation to build their life on. You need something that'll give you stability. It'll give you identity. It'll give you purpose, even when life gets hard, even when things don't go how you want them to. And so the question for you and me today is where are you trying to find it? What's the foundation you're trying to build your life on? And is it reliable? Okay, is it a reliable foundation to build your life upon? What Paul is saying to them right here, is it to the Corinthians, if you're ever doubting the resurrection, if you're ever doubting that Jesus rose from the dead, I want to give you proof that this is reliable. You can build your life on this. And so his proof to them at that time in the 80, 50-ish is that 
Jesus appeared to a bunch of people and a lot of them are still alive, so go talk to them. That's what he's saying. There's like hundreds of people have seen him after he rose from the dead. That was like 20 years ago. Go talk to him. They're still living. Like you can go test it. It's one of the things that Luke did that led him to write the gospel of Luke in Acts is he went and tested everything. And so he's saying that. Now for us, we can't do that, obviously. Like you can't fly over to Jerusalem and be like, I'm just going to interview people. You can't do that because that was a long time ago. But we can still have confidence. So there's this historian and New Testament scholar. This guy's done the most comprehensive research and investigation to date on what both Christians and non-Christians say about the resurrection. He's collected over 1,400 of the most scholarly works on the resurrection written in three different languages from 1975 to 2003. And so because of his work and the work of other people, there's all this evidence that points to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. So I stole this from this guy, but these are four things. They all start with the letter E on why you can be confident that Jesus rose from the dead. Bill, you got this one, four points. They all start with E on why reasons that you can be confident today that Jesus rose from the dead. And so I'm just going to walk through these and then I'm going to tell you why it matters for our lives today. Are we tracking? I'm throwing a lot out there in a short amount of time. All right, here we go. So the first one is this, is the execution of Jesus, the execution of Jesus. So both Christians and non-Christian history scholars agree that Jesus really lived and he really died on a cross. And that's really important because one of the things that I always go back to is that fact that if I'm ever like, man, what if this is all not true? I'm reminded that both Christian and non-Christian historical scholars claim that Jesus was a real person and he really died. And we have to do something with that. And so history shows, no, this man really was executed. And so the second thing is the empty tomb. And so because of point one, because he was executed, there has to be a body. There has to be a body. History also shows, both Christian and non-Christian sources, that the tomb was empty. And so you have to do something with the fact that there's a missing body, where's the body? All they had to do, think about this, is produce a body. And if they could produce a body, that would have destroyed Christianity for all time. That's all they had to do. Like, here's the body of Jesus. He did not rise from the dead. This is all a waste of your time. They could not do that. And so what they did, I'm talking about the Roman authorities and some of the Jews, came up with a theory that the disciples would steal the body of Jesus and would lie about it. And so somehow they would get through all of these Roman guards that Jason Bourne probably couldn't even get through, and they would steal the body and no one would ever find it. That's amazing, okay? And then they lie about it. And so even if you say, well, that's plausible, all right, these guys are like Jason Bourne and, you know, like Tom Cruise combined, not real Tom Cruise, but like, you know, acting Tom Cruise. And that, like, think about this, that lie, like they would make up a lie and be willing to be tortured and killed for it. And the reality is just people don't die for lies. That just doesn't happen. Why would they suffer and die for a lie? And so that's your second piece of evidence. The third piece of evidence is this, is that both Christians and non-Christian scholars agree that people believe that they saw the risen Jesus. And so if you trace that out, eyewitnesses, is that a group of 500 people that Paul's talking about, they don't just like have the same hallucination at the exact same time. And then Paul's also saying that even if they did, that it's not just one person, one group of people at one time, he appeared to many different people at many different times. And so Paul's like, hey, just go ask them. 
And then on top of that, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the things you'll find is that women were the first people to witness the risen Jesus, which is one of the things that's so cool about Christianity is how much Christianity loves and honors women and how the just priority that women play in the story of God's redemption. And so in that time period, though, um, a woman's testimony wouldn't have been trusted. And so why, if you're trying to make up a religion that you're trying to sell to a bunch of people to believe in, you're going to go find the social media influencers, right? Like you're going to go find the people with millions of Instagram followers that everyone's going to believe. And in that time period, it wouldn't have been women. And so why is that reported? Because that's what actually happened. And so it's this evidence that they're not trying to make this up. This actually happened. And then the fourth one is the explosion of Christianity is that within 100 years of Jesus dying and rising again, Christianity had spread through Europe, Africa, and Asia. By who? By the exact same people that deserted him when he was killed. And so why? Because those same people saw him rise from the dead and it just filled them with this confidence and boldness to go tell other people, to tell other people, to tell other people who eventually told us, and he's still changing lives today. In fact, our friend CD who lives in Senegal, if you hear his testimony, what he will say is he kept repeating this phrase. He kept saying, Jesus is alive. He felt Jesus being alive right next to him. That's what changed him. So the same Savior who rose from the dead is alive today, and he's still changing people's lives and so this is, these are some evidences that you can be confident historically and experientially that Jesus rose from the dead. And so I'll end with this. What effect does that have on our lives today? Okay, that's why it's necessary. That's why you can be confident in it. But what effect does it have on our lives today? I'll give you three things. These things will begin to change in your life if you apply the resurrection um, to your life. And so the first one is peace. Second one's power. And the third one is perspective. I've got to get some water. The third, the throat is sore today. Oh my gosh. And so what we're going to do is this, we're going to go, we're going to go back to first Corinthians 15, but we're going to get outside of it for a little bit here. Cause it's not the only passage that talks about the resurrection. So how do you get peace from the resurrection. What do I mean when I say that? Romans 4.25 says this, that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, and there it is, raised for our justification. Justification is a legal term. It means to be declared righteous before God. And so I've used this illustration before. Um, I've used it a bunch, one of my favorite illustrations, but a lot of you, um, like think about it like this. If I plugged in, I, I used this recently, but if I plug in a flash drive, right, in that computer, and I'm going to put on this screen every thought that you've had, every action you've had, okay, everything you've said, and we'll just say over the past six months, and we're going to show it to everyone in the room, and we're going to invite your parents here, okay? How many of us would be like sprinting out of the room, right? Yeah, thank you, Reed. I would too. You wouldn't listen to me. And so I would probably go to Deserted Island and get out of here. And so that's stressful, and it would be stressful for all of us. But the, the, the justification means because Jesus was raised is that when your flash drive gets put in, all we would see is Jesus's perfect thoughts, his perfect life, his perfect words, because that's how God sees you now. And so um, sometimes like if you've got like a, a, some of you have a debit card, 
and you like don't know how much money's left. You know what I'm talking about? You swipe that thing. You're like, I don't know if I'm about to get rejected or not. Okay. Um, the cross was Jesus's payment for sin. The resurrection is God saying, I accept that payment. And so it's like the cards being swiped and it says it, the payment went through. And so Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. And when he rises, the father's saying, it really is. It's really finished. That payment works. And so what does that have to do with peace? Is because you don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore. The things that you feel guilty about, the things that cause you shame, you're not defined by your past anymore. You're defined by Jesus's past. And so anything that you feel guilty about that's disturbing your peace, if you've trusted in Jesus, you can write it down and you can throw it in the fire because he doesn't see it anymore. And so you can experience peace because Jesus rose from the dead. Number two, you can experience power. This is Romans 8, 11 is a verse that we like to talk about. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He's telling you that the same spirit of power that rose Jesus from the dead, if you're a Christian, is living inside of you that you go to school every day with resurrection power living inside of you. You have this source of power, and the truth is a lot of us don't tap into it. A lot of us forget that that's what we have living inside of us. Okay, it's like um, if you've got something of value in your possession that you're just not using. Like, that's just crazy to do that. And he's like, no, no, you've got this source of power. That changes how you go to school in the morning when you realize that you have resurrection power living inside of you. Okay, that gives you the ability to, um, to not give into things that you used to give into because you have a new power that's living in you. Okay, the third one's this, and I'll end with this, is perspective. It gives you perspective. And so this is verses 50 to, to 58, and this is what Paul says. Um, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep, we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. That's amazing. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The, de the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so there's two things that it does for your perspective. One, it gives you hope for the future. Okay, um, I had... I had a, uh, a friend very close to me pass away from cancer. Um, and I talked about this on the Florida trip. And one of the things that she began to do is study heaven when she knew that that was going to happen. And one of the things that she got confidence in is she knew that God's either going to heal her in this life or he's going to heal her in heaven. But she's going to be healed one day because um, she knows him. And so if Jesus really rose from the dead, um, in the end, everything's going to be all right. And I say it because I know some of you are in this room struggling with these things today. And if you know that Jesus rose from the dead, in the end, everything really is going to be all right. Because you're going to rise again. Um, you're going to see people that um, you don't have right now. Because this is true. And that's what Paul's saying is that you can live with hope 
for the future because Jesus rose from the dead. And so you can have this strength in you that gives you the ability to have hope no matter what you go through because you have a savior that rose again and that's gonna be your future. Every tear is gonna be wiped away. Everything sad is gonna become untrue and God is going to redeem everything. You're going to receive a new body in a new place with people that you love forever. That's amazing. That changes your perspective. The second way it changes your perspective is this. There was this podcast I listened to in the summer. It's called The Play Callers. It was a, a football podcast. And this guy at the end of it, this is what he says, and I will end with this. He said this, everyone has a birth date and everyone has an expiration date. So nothing really matters in between because we're all doomed. Okay, that's what he said. Based on this, that's not true. Based on this, if Jesus really rose from the dead, then everything matters. The way you live today matters. And what that means is that following Jesus in high school is the best way to live. Not when you're older, not something, oh, I'll come back to that one day. If Jesus really rose from the dead, it's verse 58, following Jesus is never in vain. Even if it costs you popularity in high school, even if it costs you temporary moments of pleasure, because Jesus rose from the dead, following Jesus is never in vain. Okay, I'll pray for us and Isaac's gonna sing one more. God, we do just thank you um, for the resurrection. Lord, we know that a lot of us just need to be reminded the hope that we have because of Jesus. And a lot of us need to be reminded to stop living for things that ultimately don't matter because in the end, following you and loving people, uh, living for your purposes is what matters. And so God, I just pray that we would fix our eyes today on the resurrection. We would see why it's necessary. We would be confident in it. And Lord, it would just change our perspective. It would give us peace. We would know that we're forgiven. Um, Lord, that it would give us this new power that we live with every day. Lord, it would give us a perspective of hope when things are hard and that it would give us a purpose to live for things that truly do matter. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he rose from the dead. We pray that we would live in that. We pray that in his name, amen.